Welcome to the Filmed Live Musicals Podcast, a podcast about stage musicals that have been legally filmed and publicly distributed. The Filmed Live Musicals website contains information on nearly 200 musicals that have been captured live. Check it out at filmedlivemusicals.com. And now, on with the show. Welcome to episode 20 of the Filmed Live Musicals podcast. My name is Louisa Lyons, and joining me today is Sean Cerconi. He is the CEO and President of Broadway Licensing, the former Chief Business Officer and Senior Vice President of Professional and International Licensing for Theatrical Rights Worldwide, producer of Theatre Building Chicago, the founder of West Virginia Shakespeare Festival, co-chair of the National Alliance for Musical Theatre New Musical Theatre Festival, the writer of Beat Bugs, a musical adventure, and, North, and the North American version of Saturday Night Fever. He is also the president and CEO of Broadway On Demand and Stream.Theatre. Welcome, Sean. Thank you so much for having me. This is cool. I'm, I'm so thrilled to bring you on. You, I know you have a wealth of knowledge, and I'm very excited to pick your brains about streaming live theatre. Well, I'm excited to talk about it. It's a brave new world that we're living in. It sure is. Before we get into that, though, what made you fall in love with theater? Oh, my gosh. Great question. So I grew up about uh, 50 miles north of New York City. And I grew up in a family that um, we did not have a lot of money. And um, we, you know, to go to a cultural event, that was not something that um, we was in our budget. So I actually won a pair of tickets to my first Broadway show on uh, a radio station. And my dad and I went and it was a, a musical called Serafina which was a um, musical from South Africa about apartheid. Uh, and I didn't know anything about the musical, let alone apartheid in South Africa. And um, it was absolutely emotionally, you know, incredible catharsis experience as a 10-year-old kid just weeping in the theater. And the power of, of that experience, I from then on, I always wanted to be in the theater. So that you know, that was my first theater experience, um, and from then on, it's just I had to be a part of that for other people and create that kind of environment for other people. Has Serafina was it filmed or was it turned into a film? It was turned into a film. You can still watch it on YouTube. You can find the original production somewhere on YouTube. But yeah, but it was turned into a film, which I believe starred uh, Whoopi Goldberg and was produced by her mm-hmm. Yeah, in the 90s. What an amazing first theater experience. And to win your tickets. That's very it serendipitous. Yes, 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 yes. And I will share my second theater experience, which, which shortly thereafter was um, then we, we were able to get discount tickets to a play, a Broadway play called Checkmates, which starred a unknown actor um, named Denzel Washington that nobody had ever heard of at that point. So, so those were like, it was incredible. Those were, <laughs> after that, I was hooked. How do you not? So I got very lucky. Oh, that is super cool. You, you yeah. knew him when? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So what was the first filmed theater that you watched? The, so the first film theater that I remember watching was the George Hearn and Angela Lansbury production of Sweeney Todd in, I think, sixth grade. Um, Filmed in uh, Los that Angeles. I saw. Yeah. So that was, um, which again is a phenomenal, uh, you know, capture, um, which continued to you know, build this love of, of what I, you know, what I had. And I still go back and watch. I mean, that, that is a iconic um, uh, piece of theater, right? It was spectacularly performed. Yeah. Sondheim is a great gateway drug to filmed theater. Yes. The Into yes, the Woods was so. my first. <laughs> oh, so wonderful. I, I relate to that. Seeing a Broadway show on camera was, was the first uh-huh. time I saw Broadway uh, was into the woods the vhs (laughs) yep that's right that's right and i would say and the thing that's really fascinating is prior to that my my grandparents on sunday nights um would always watch live from the met and so from a broadway perspective those were my first experiences but from the time i was very young 
uh, and I just, you know, I wasn't really a big fan of opera, you know, nor am I, I still, but there was theater, right, in, in our household every Sunday night at 7 p.m. because of PBS. And so I got to see all the great, uh, you know, opera singers, whether it was Pavarotti or Domingo, Beverly Sills, uh, you know, live from the Met was uh, another gateway that introduced, um, and we couldn't, of course, afford to go to the Metropolitan Opera. That was like something that was like still, <laughs> it's crazy, crazy expensive, right? And so, um, but it laid a bedrock foundation for setting up many other experiences in my life, right? Theatrical experiences in my life. Mm. Well, let's jump across to Broadway on Demand. And when sure. when it launched in the press release, uh, you were quoted as saying, Broadway is a giant global brand and its impact extends far beyond a few blocks in midtown Manhattan. Even before our current crisis, we've long dreamt of building a platform that would truly fulfill Broadway's long-held promise of being the longest street in the world. This platform is our way of breaking down geographical and economic barriers so that the entire world can partake in all the wonders that Broadway has to offer. So it was what led you to create Broadway on Demand? So the there was a very specific experience that um, that I had, it's very personal, that added to all those things that had started, right? Watching PBS, watching Live from the Met, watching those operas, watching the VHS tape of George Herndon and Angela Wansbury, on and on and on. Um, I, I'm, I'm a dad. I have, I have two beautiful girls who are theater kids and they, they love it. And um, my mother-in-law is, uh, he lives about 2000 miles away in uh, Utah. And so, and they're a big theater family as well. So we, um, you know, they don't get to see our kids all that much, you know, once, twice a year, holidays during the summertime, but they want to be involved in everything that they do. So when our girls do a, um, you know, a, a children's production of a, of a play or a musical in the local children's theater that they participate in, uh, I, of course, like any parent, get in line early to get a great seat. But my great seat is important to me because I need to be able to, you know, get my phone out wherever it is and sneak a couple of videos so I can send it to my mother-in-law being a good son-in-law that I am <laughs> right now, not supposed to do that. I know I'm not supposed to do that, but every other parent's got their phone up. Right. So, but I need to be able to send that. The question is with technology, I could, if I wanted to just hit FaceTime, right. And live stream it in the moment to there. So, and now that's very annoying to have 50 parents in the audience. Why couldn't you just put one camera at the back of the theater and then allow for that to happen or better yet charge people a ticket to allow that to happen, to watch it live. Hmm. Now this happens for school sports all over the world now. Okay. There's all kinds of school sports that are streamed live on a daily basis, right? I'm not just talking about professional sports, which is obvious. So that revenue that gets generated from that stream could help to continue to support the nonprofit art organization that is doing it. And maybe even more importantly, Louisa, it can help continue to support the author's work. It's additional revenue for the authors, right? By expanding the audience. So that's where the initial idea came from was actually to help be a better son-in-law. Okay, that is brilliant. And my brain is thinking, <laughs> what does the uh, former chief business uh, officer and senior vice president of theatrical rights worldwide that you, you know, you're in the business of making sure people don't uh, film your work and, and put yeah. it online. So um, can you explore that a little bit more? What, what that was like, those two mm -hmm. different brains as like a proud dad and wanting to share your 
amazing kids' performances and and also the business side of things where, you know, you don't want every person just filming on or streaming on FaceTime. So, so absolutely. And and the uh, the primary role of a licensing company is to protect and promote the author's intellectual property, right? However, we're also pain point solves. Okay, we we we're, we're our job is to solve the pain point for ju- the authors and for the production companies to help them gen- generate more revenue, right? So it's not just to manage the intellectual property, but it's to strategize on how to maximize the revenue on behalf of the authors. I don't think there's a Broadway show that I've seen that somebody hasn't taken their phone out. Right? It happens all the time. And if you go to YouTube right now, you can search any number of Broadway musicals and you're going to get from clips to full productions up on YouTube. Okay. So it's up there. It's out and about, right? We're living in what I'm calling the, the Napster age of <laughs> filmed uh, theater. It's happening for free and people really aren't doing anything about it. So we decided, well, what did what was the next iteration of that universe? Well, it was iTunes, right? Like, okay, we've it's gotta happen digitally, but we've got to figure out how to protect it and monetize it. So how do we do that? What is it that is going to allow for the authors to feel comfortable? to allow this process. Now, not every author is going to feel comfortable and that's totally okay. But there are a lot of authors who do feel comfortable, who also realize that it is a promotional tool. The From the stock and amateur licensing universe, the more theaters that are doing your uh, player musical, the bigger brand that it gets. And in fact, here in, in the U.S., um, the Educational Theater Association publishes annually the top list of, uh, you know, top 10 most produced one acts full length plays and musicals every year. And our company is proud to have two of the three in the trilogy uh, of most produced uh, plays, uh, the one acts and the full length. Um, and so how do we make the authors uh, and provide technology that protects that stream. So it's not just on YouTube. So it's not just on FaceTime or Facebook, you know, it's not on there, but that we, we allow for the legal components of that, but also provide best practices and the technology components of it. And the, or the organizations that are best positioned to that, to do that are the licensing companies, because we understand what are the requirements, the legal requirements, as well as the technology requirements from a pain points uh, standpoint for those producing organizations? So that's the path that we went down in exploring how do we solve this bigger issue. Were these conversations that you were having prior to the pandemic? So these are conversations we've been having about streaming for a long time. I never thought that we would really get anywhere with it because it was, you know, it's a, um, a sacred cow of sorts, right? It's, it's a really, uh, touchy situation. And, and, but this was the same thing that, you know, uh, this industry had faced when it went to e-publishing, right. And like Kindle and eBooks and, and PDFs and how do you protect it? Right. And so there was a real pushback, like there's not a lot, a lot of paper used anymore. So, there was going to be a solve when we saw the writing on the wall of what was happening with the virus and what was happening with theaters around the world. We quickly identified that this was the opportunity to, to jump at this because the, our primary job is to keep the revenue streams for the authors going. And I can, I can proudly say our team continued to provide a strong revenue source for all of our authors throughout the pandemic, which through thousands, I mean, there were, there were thousands upon thousands of productions that we licensed and streamed over the last 12 months. That's amazing. 
because in the industry, I've had people say, you know, well, like there's been no theater. And I'm like, that's just not true. Absolutely. That's actually <laughs> not true. And I, I, I can tell you, we've licensed and streamed over 5,000 one act plays in the last year. Like that, that's just there, you know, and, and, you know, in December we were doing 15 to 16,000 people a week watching uh, Broadway on demand and these stream productions. So it, it's here. Like it, it's happened. It's here. It's, I think it's here to stay in a big way. Um, but we're just in the infancy of it. Mm. What do you identify as the resistance to filming theater? Like pre, I, I know the pandemic has changed a lot and I, I will get to that, but what do you think sure. has been the industry resistance prior to the pandemic? Well, I think in number one, people don't like change. That's kind of the first thing, right? So it's change is hard and we know that and it's scary. And, and we know that. And that's why the trust uh, is really important and understanding that we are here to help protect and help promote and to maximize the revenue. So so that's that's the first part. I think the, the second part and the biggest challenge is the unknown, right? It's like there are people some people speak of it as, as a replacement. This is never going to replace theater. How dare you try to place? We're, like nobody's trying to replace theater. You're not, we're not replacing the in-person experience. Right. So, and the example I always give is I'm a big New York Yankees fan, right? I watch the New York Yankees at seven Oh five, you know, first pitch on a Thursday night at home on, on my television or on my phone now. Right. Like, right. There's no way that that experience is in any way, shape, or form the same as going to Yankee Stadium, nor do I expect it to be. So the expectation that the streaming experience is going to be similar to the in-person experience is a complete wrong frame of mind. It, 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 it actually continues the brand. It keeps me engaged in the, that team in that brand uh, on an ongoing basis, right? It reminds me when I can't get there, it reminds me how much I would love to go in person because the in-person experience is the premium experience, right? The at-home experience is an engagement tool that the Yankees keep use to keep me engaged in what's happening in their organization and how the team players are doing right and this is the same across the nfl across major league soccer across the international soccer leagues right the premier premier league etc cetera, etc cetera. this is what they've used in theater we are just starting to scratch the surface of that kind of uh, modality mm. um and how we use technology to engage people into these tremendous artful and beautiful brands. And it's like what you were talking about earlier with Napster, that although Napster and digital music took away, uh, it lessened album sales, like physical album sales, what went up was concert sales because people still want the in-person experience. Like no matter what, people crave the real and the physical and the tangible and absolutely i you know especially after a year of everything being closed or maybe longer uh, let's you know things are very very slowly starting to open up but like in new york everything that has the the shows that have opened uh in the past few weeks ha- have completely sold out their runs because That's people right. are desperate right. for a live theater <laughs> De- desperate for live theater and the communion that occurs between actor and audience right now you don't get that in a digital space. And that's okay because the digital, because what the digital does do, right, which is tremendously important, it, it provides, number one, accessibility, okay? Now, as we were talking and we started this conversation, as, as a kid growing up, I could not afford to go to the theater. But that didn't mean that the Live at the Met on Sunday night on PBS couldn't come to me and my television, right? At home, but through my television, right? So this is this is an opportunity to get theater as an art form, get Broadway, get off-Broadway, regional theaters, right? The great regional theaters, MTC, The Goodman, right? These organizations uh, get out and reach into their community in a deeper, more meaningful way, which as a not-for-profit is their mission. Right. So as an example, 
you know, in, in any urban setting, you have a major regional theater here in the States, as you do in the UK. And there's certainly uh, school districts in that area that can't afford to put those kids on a bus and get them to the theater. They can't afford the busing. They can't get the parents to sign the permission forms, whatever the pain points are. Now, those organizations have the ability live to get into the classroom through streaming, whether it's through the device or whether it's through you know the laptop and onto a big screen TV, they can bring it live to those kids. So the accessibility to broaden the art form uh, across people at a very young age is hugely important. The second thing is broadening the brand globally, right? We know Cameron and, and Andrew have done a tremendous job in building global brands, right, Acr- across the world. Now th- that this tool provides the accessibility for anybody to be able to access that content. So whether you're you know, a school-age kid in China you can now access Broadway brands or regional theater brands in the U.S., right? And vice versa. And the cultural exchange that comes from that and being able to watch things in China, to be able to watch things in Australia, there's tremendous festivals in, the, in Europe, like the Bergen's Festival, right? Like there's work that's being done there that is just mind-blowing that I would love to see on a regular basis, Right? But I can't be in person, can't fly there every year. It's just not, not possible. But when I do go, right, it's going to be a premium experience. And I'm going to make sure I make a point to go because I've been tracking that organization for years and decades. Right? I'm a big fan of the work of the curve. Right? I can't get up to the curve to see everything, but I still want to watch Nikolai's work. He's a tremendous director. Mm-hmm. You mentioned live or liveness. What do you think the experience of watching something live versus on demand? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so the in-person, exp- I, I think it different. It, it differs from when you're sitting home and if you're watching it alone or if you're watching it with other people, mm-hmm. right? Because there is part of like, what it's like watching a movie. Like you like to watch a movie with somebody else sometimes because you're it's a joint experience of expression that you have between the two of you and whether you're scared together or you're laughing together, right? So you you crave that personal connection, right? But there is in the live theater setting, the magic of it is that communion between performer and audience member, right? That's the thing that you miss out on the digital experience. However, the digital experience has other positive attributes that the live experience doesn't can't, uh, can't replicate uh, for instance, you can have a tool, a dual screen experience, right? So you can be watching something, but also have information and engaging, engaging with a community on your phone in a digital experience. And we saw a lot of this with the release of Hamilton. When, when Disney Plus released Hamilton, the Twitter feed was crazy, right? <laughs> and so people were watching and engaging with the community through their device which is you definitely do not want to do in the live theater. I, there were experiments. I remember when Twitter was kind of new, that was like you could have tweet seats and it, they were encouraging people yes, in the right. theater to be on Twitter, but it's a pain Bad in the butt. Yes. And as an usher, it's <laughs> horrible. <laughs> Even worse. That's right. That's right. I agree. Yeah. So I noticed a lot of shows on Broadway on demand are, you have to watch at a specific time. They're, they're scheduled mm-hmm. events. So what is the, the intention behind that? That's a great question. That's right. And this is the some stuff that we're we're discovering and like we're playing with the ideas and the form of what it is, right? And people look at it as like, oh, it's scheduled or it's not scheduled. We look at it as we're playing with the variables of the new art form, right? To figure out is it what does that feel like? And uh, the example I give is Hamilton was released, right? What would have happened if Disney Plus scheduled it at 8 p.m. Eastern time on that Friday, July 3rd, I think, whatever it was, released last year, right? And so, like, everybody in the world had to watch it at that one time. Would the experience have been different because you knew other people were watching it at the same time, Mm. right? 
now that you couldn't go, you couldn't stop it and rewind it. Like you had to watch it and there was a break, an interval, right? And there was a break at, at intermission and then you had to watch it and you couldn't stop it. Would that experience have been different? You knowing that there's millions of people watching it at the same time, like the Super Bowl, right? Mm-hmm. Or how does that compare with, and how does that compare with uh, a VOD experience, which is you can watch it whenever you want, which is what happened, right? And so that's just kind of the dynamics of like what feels different to the user at the end. How does that play out and how does that play into the excitement or lack thereof of watching something new? Mm. Very interesting. Do you, I'm guessing, I can guess which one you do have a preference for, but do you have a preference for whether it's on demand or at a scheduled time? I, I don't have a preference. Um, because I'm too curious about the dynamics of it, right? I, I really am. I, I do think that um, I do. Th- my preference is to do it live if there's an option, right? To not to do a capture and then edit the capture and deliver it. I actually think the live, live, like it's happening right now, and you know it's happening. That's maybe where this is going, yeah. and then that gets captured and you can rewatch that later. Right. But the actual of the moment, what I call the, the UFC moment, right. Which is like at Saturday night at eight o'clock or whatever, like, you know, this fight is going to happen or, you know, this football match is going to happen or right. Whatever it is like you want that. And then you want to be able to go back and watch it again. If I missed it, Mm. I think that's where the direction that this is leaning because, because theater is a temporal art form. Right. And so part of what's intrinsic, I think, in making it exciting is providing that temporal nature, which is it's live. But if you miss it, then you still can come back and have that VOD digital experience. Mm. Is Broadway on demand or, or any of the organizations you work, you work for? Are you doing research into what audiences prefer or how audiences engage? Mm. absolutely (laughs) and this is why we're we're playing with all the different Mm. you know delivery mechanisms how it's being delivered what are the additional things that we're doing on it like this is a evolving um process right so so we are just crawling in the infancy of what this is going to become right so we're a year not even a year because we launched i think may 17th so we're not even a year old wow right imagine what this is going to be 25 years from now oh i am so excited i i'm picturing vr headsets (laughs) totally and we are literally we are literally (laughs) working with okay like what is this like and is there a place for this and what is that experience versus what is the two-dimensional flat experience listeners can't see but sean just held up a vr headset as he said that (laughs) right so what's the what what do what does it bring and what are the uh attributes right just like like just like theater in the round versus proscenium versus a thrust stage versus outside versus inside what are the different variables of the experience that we can play with all within the same mind and 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 the thing that makes me most excited about the team that we have is that it's actually all theater people true theater people understand the the and and have been educated and have been practicers of of theater as an art form right we're playing with the dynamics of the art form but understanding that what makes the art form tick at its nature and making sure we don't move away from what actually makes theater theater Mm -hmm. and what makes film film this is not to make a film which is very different or a film of a theater experience, which is very different. So filmed theater, it's not quite theater. It's not the in-person live experience, but it's not, like you say, it's not exactly a film. So what should we be calling it? I, I think it's, it's a capture. It's a, it's a capture of a live theater experience, mm. right? I call them, you know, because the delivery mechanisms, it's interesting here in the States, uh, people use the word streaming. And right, and they're like, well, it's the streaming rights, and I'm like, I- I'm not actually sure that that's true, um, because streaming is a is a thing. It's a delivery mechanism, right? And is it broadcast? Well, I'm not sure it's broadcast either. 
hmm. it's webcast, right? Yeah, it's webcast, but the webcast is a delivering mechanism, right? What is the thing that you're creating? You're creating a, a digital capture of a live stage production. In in the case of uh, Sweeney Todd, right, that was a uh, filmed capture, which I, or or video capture, because I, I believe it was on video, mm. right? It wasn't film. It, it it was a video capture of a live theatrical experience that was then edited. Right. I am intrigued. And I think personally, I'm leaning towards the unedited experience. I think that because that's what theater is, it needs to be live. It needs to be unedited. It needs to be start to finish. Right. These are the things that make it work. Once you get in and start playing with how it's laid out, I think all that work needs to be done ahead of time. And it's been uh, even more fascinating because you look at things like um, what NBC did uh, with their live, um, you know, broadcasts, uh, and the Jesus Christ Superstar was was phenomenal, and even the Grease at Fox was phenomenal, right? And they there was really a choreography to the camera work that was happening throughout the experience. The, I think that's far more in the direction that we're contemplating this art form move, moving rather than uh, what, you know, Netflix produced the prom, right. As a, as a film, that's a film. Or even Hamilton, which was, you know, filmed four years oh. ago and it's highly edited. There's a million camera angles. There are angles that are filmed with the audience is not present. There are close-ups and pickups and things like that. So that's right. can it still be billed as live, like Hamilton live from Broadway? For example, is it still I, I live I mean, if it's edited like bill, that? <laughs> you can bill anything, whatever you want. Right? <laughs> I, and I'm not certainly not the uh, authority or or going to be the tastemaker on like how people mark, market their their piece, right? I, to me, I'm far more curious and interested in in what it does and what the variables are, and if you do it that way versus if you do it this other way, right? And every Every author and every producer is going to have their own opinion of how they want to deliver that story. And at the end of the day, that's probably what it really is, Lisa. It's really at the end, at the end of the day, what best serves telling this story? How does this story get delivered and through what modality? Because that's the exact same way that a director is going to look at it on the stage. That's probably the same way that a director needs to look at it as a capture. That's a really interesting thought. Do you think that as filmed or captures of theater, I, I really love that term, it, it speaks to like the temporality of theater, that it's like something ephemeral and we can't really capture it. It's like an attempt to like catch something. So I, I really like that term. Uh, but do you think that as streaming becomes more prevalent, do you think it will change the way that live theater makers create stage productions? No, I don't think it's going to change the way theater makers create live stage productions. I think it's going to be, I think theater makers are going to, to create something additionally. Like there's a lot of conversation about, I, okay, I'm going to write, I, I, I'm writing this piece to be on the stage, but, but then I'm writing this piece to be a capture and, or I'm rewriting this piece that I had as a stage production to be rewritten for a capture. And what are, what, how am I rewriting it to utilize the best attributes of that form and how, and just like any great art artists, right? They're trying to figure out how to advance the capture art form. Right. And they're going to play with it and they're going to break it. Right. And that's like tremendously exciting mm. to figure out just in all the ways that we as theater practitioners, we know the rules, we learn the rules, we do the rules, and then we break the rules and we break the rules for very specific and effective um, moments in the theater. Right. Mm. Do you think that, so a lot of work over the pandemic has been filmed without an audience. It's been filmed in a theater. So, for example, uh, Diana coming up or come from away um, were filmed are being filmed in the theaters without an audience. Do you think that 
the camera is able to capture some of that energy between the audience and the performers on stage if there's an audience present? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There, there is, I mean, I, I, you know, I've said it, I think, twice or three times, the, the communion between audience and performers is a real thing, right? The, the tempo rhythm of an evening's performance is a real thing. And we all know this from just like from the stage manager being like, oh, the first act was five minutes shorter tonight, right? Like whatever it is, right? We know that. And there's there's an energy to opening night and there's a different energy to closing night, right? All of those things. So so the audience is, right? There's no theater, quote unquote, live theater without an audience, right? So because then it's just rehearsal, <laughs> right? So I, I I think that's an essential part of it, okay? I think there actually has to be a live audience in the space. Then it, if it's not a live audience in the space, then it becomes something different, okay? And there has been a lot of Zoom theater this year, right, to, you know, it, to utilize that technology. And that, you know, that is a different type of capture and it's a different type of experience. I'm, I'm not too sure. We're not, we're not really going down that particular path of what, um, what I, where the future lie. I think the future lies in just like sports where there's an audience in the stands and you're able to you know, look in on what that experience is. Oh, that is music to my ears. <laughs> I, there's, but there's a, there's interesting ways of kind of guiding the audience too, because I think of um, the original capture of Sunday in the Park with George on Broadway, and the audience were instructed to be very muted in their reactions because there was, it was this belief that you shouldn't hear the audience that it would ruin it for the yeah. the people at home so what you yeah, get is this I'm, kind of muted like weird like are they enjoying this and that kind of reads on the on the screen but the opposite like you mentioned um jesus christ superstar the uh NBC live version and to me the audience makes me crazy because i'm like stop yelling in the middle of a number just be quiet and clap at the end <laughs> It's kind of like, and if you think of, of stand-up comedy, could you imagine stand-up comedy, a stand-up comedian without an audience? Like that would be so bizarre, right? Like to not hear the laughter of a joke, like it would be really bizarre. And I don't know, like that would really mess with the comedian. <laughs> Any late night TV for the last year, yes. <laughs> right, it's really weird, mm-hmm. right? And it, and, and it actually falls kind of flat because you don't have that built-in uh, response that, that like people are sharing and finding it as funny as you are. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the live audience to me is what's super important. It, it, it does make such a difference. What would you say? Oh, before I get to that, um, what would you say are the challenges or to streaming live theater? Technology. The technology is really challenging. Right. And the, and the best practices of the technology, um, the learning curve is really steep. So we have so many industries that are so far ahead of us and we are going to be playing catch up for a long time. Right. And and it takes a huge investment to get there. Right. With, with the technology. So I think that one of the things that's made us successful is is that as I shared, we have theater people who are looking at this uh, through a technology lens, as opposed to technology people who are trying to put on a theater lens. That's it's really hard to come, you know, to have somebody come out from the in, from the technology standpoint and and put on and teach them everything that they need to know about theater, you know, in a half hour pre production meeting, right? That's a really challenging thing. So I think that's the biggest obstacle and to an adoption. Like somebody asked me, they're like, if you could have, you know, as much money in the world as you could have, what, you know, what would the thing that you would be that, um, that we use it for in, in, in theater. And I was like, actually it has, there's no amount of money that I want. Actually, what I really would like is adoption. It's adoption of this 
new usage of what we're doing. Mm. So we talked a little earlier that the pandemic has changed people's perception of uh, streaming theater and that mm-hmm. it has suddenly become a lot more available. Uh, like pre-pandemic, mm-hmm. my the database that I had of the filmed live musicals was like, you know, around 200, 300 shows and it has literally doubled. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's 200, 300 shows from 1935 through to 2019. <laughs> and then May 2020, it's like exploded. What do you see have been the shifts in the past year? in either potential to adopt or in the change of perception about making theater available on screen? Yep. I think that the reality of the revenue stream being something that is tangible for authors is, has been really important. So for, for them to realize, you know, I, I had one particular author um, call me and they received a very large check um, for Q4 from the streaming rights. And they said, they called with like, hey, Sean, you, there's a mistake. You know, you sent me this amount of money. <laughs> and I was like, that, it, it's not a mistake. That, that's what it is. And how is this possible? And I said, well, you know, we had so many ex-productions of your show and like these are the royalties that are associated with it through through streaming and they were so became so emotional because they they had rent and you know mortgage payers like family and like, like they were like you don't understand we, we have no income that's happening right now in the pandemic and this is like this is everything right now i cannot believe they were so grateful and so that moment to me was a realization that the the opportunity that this provides to not just the authors because as a revenue stream and then ongoing and to increase the revenue so that way they can support themselves to write the next project that they're working on but for arts organizations right i don't i don't particularly know fully in the uk exactly how the funding process works for a school but i'll tell you here in the states there is very, very, very little funding, and the arts programming is always getting cut compared to the sports programming in the educational sector. So we are now setting out to provide an opportunity that arts organizations can increase the amount of revenue that they have at those institutions, which then makes them more vibrant institutions. That's phenomenal. We can actually build our industry stronger Mm -hmm. because of uh, this delivery mechanism. That understanding of what this tool can do is probably the largest thing that has shifted. That is a huge shift and a very exciting one. I think so. Wow. You mentioned uh, regional theater, and it was just announced this past week. There's a new initiative showcasing American regional theater, uh, the National Theater Network, uh, which is, has been founded by the American Conservatory Theater, Woolly Mammoth, and Irish Rep Theater in collaboration with Broadway On Demand, and it's launching on May 15th. Can you tell us more about that? Yep. So um, we're, again, this was uh, conversations that have dated back to, to mid last year, um, where the needs uh, of those organizations were, were different than some of the needs from the other organizations that we were servicing. So um, we sat down with them and said, okay, let's build you a better mousetrap. Um, and, and how, how can we help support you and build one thing that can be used across multiple organizations? It's kind of crazy to think, right? Like lots of organizations went out there and started to like, okay, how do I build this thing? Right. And they all went, went doing it themselves. It would be like, as if Facebook had a different template for every user. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah. You're going to build one template across all users. <laughs> That's the way technology works, right? Could you imagine if Netflix or iTunes had a different template for every film that they had? It would be like, it would be crazy. Yeah. That's literally what happened and what has happened, right? So like streaming happens in like from the regional theaters and the community theaters and the high schools, like in many, many different ways. And it's all hodgepodge. 
we've come along and said, hold on, we need to build a template that works for each marketplace. So, okay, you're a, a major professional theater in the US. What are the needs that you need within the template and the structure of what you have? Fantastic. And that's what we set out to build. And we're actually moving through the marketplace and expanding onto that to talk to these other organizations, the other sectors of the marketplace to do the same thing. That way it, it saves money for everybody across the board, right? For all the regional theaters. And we can help deliver best practices and educate them on the technology portion of it while also allowing the flexibility for those organizations to have their own identity and their own brand and speak to their own patrons in the manner that they wish to do so. And it makes it so much easier if, as a consumer, there's it's a one-stop shop. Like you know where to go to see, you, you, you know to go to Netflix to see a thousand different movies. So now you can go right. to the National Theatre Network or Broadway On Demand and see a hundred different regional productions. And that's what I that's love exactly about right. uh, Showshare on Broadway On Demand is the ability to tap into, you know, these thousands of high school and regional productions that I would never have been able to see, you know, from New Jersey. It, it's it's very, um, what, what has been great about the pandemic is opening up access to all these productions from around the world. Like I've seen stuff it's from Korea and England and Australia. That's right. Yeah. That's exactly correct. And, and I'll tell you, we, we recently got some data back that showed that over 72% of these organizations who have streamed have had a successful experience and continue, plan to continue to stream post-pandemic when theaters, you know, when people come back into the audience and the actors are back on the stage, which is just thrilling, which means that we did a very good job in supporting right th this through through and we've provided this opportunity and this new um tool for people to use it's just a tool it's really at the end of the day it's just a tool to help service the organizations and we're very proud to provide it and it is such a great tool uh i want to quickly touch on stream.theater which is is it am i right in saying that it's the british arm of broadway on demand that's correct mm -hmm. and what was the decision to create a separate wing as opposed to just having Broadway on demand UK? Because I'm not sure British theaters want to be on Broadway on <laughs> demand. So they, and West, West End on demand was too long. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we actually we talked a lot about that. We talked a lot about, do we want to extend the Broadway brand into the UK? Um, and at the end of the day, when, when, cause it was our second iteration and we talked a lot about, you know, we're building a tool here. Um, we actually went into the naming process of like, okay, let's name it what the tool is. Right. And so that's how, how we came uh, up with stream.theater and um, thought that was the kind of the best way to proceed. Um, but it's again, it's, it's been a tremendous, um, exciting learning curve and also been some amazing uh, experiences that we've had uh, in the UK with that process. It's I've, I've been watching a lot of content on both Broadway On Demand and Stream Theater, and I'm so grateful that both are available to me, that it's not geo-blocked. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> it's one of my pet peeves in life. <laughs> it, it was for it was for a while, but then we 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 realized we're like, okay, we can open this up. Yes, I'm I'm even yeah. happy to pay the conversion fee in my bank account <laughs> to pay in pounds <laughs> instead of US. <laughs> Amazing. What would you say to producers and writers going forward who are hesitant, are still hesitant to stream their work? Oh, I completely understand. It's, it's a very nerve wracking time and it's a big decision. And certainly, you know, it's not something to enter into lightly. Um, you want to make sure that you understand uh, all the, the complexities, the legal complexities. And most importantly, you want to understand who you're giving your trust to um, in, you know, when you, you hand over the opportunity to do this. However, in the same breath, you also need to understand the tremendous opportunity that is being presented. And it's not for everybody and that's okay. It is not for every title and that's okay. It is a strategy that you as an author and underlying rights holder and or a producer 
have got to uh, you know think about and should be in, in part of what your strategy. And in some cases, it will be part of the strategy, and you're like, yes, this works. And in other cases, it it would make sense to not do it, and and that's the right decision. And so, but it is part of the conversation now, and and uh, you should think through the conversation and have the conversation and ask people who you trust about what are the pros and cons and if it's the best decision for your piece. Hmm. That's a really kind answer. <laughs> I'm a bit more well, like, just film it and put it on. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to hurt you. It's only going to help. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not- I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure that that's the case. And so I can't say that because I'm not a hundred percent sure that that's the case. Like we're still learning, right? I, I, I can give you great examples of how tremendous it's been. And, and, you know, like the author I spoke to or the organization that's kept their doors open, um, right. Uh, and how it's expanded audiences, right. But again, it's, it's not going to be the right thing for everybody. And, and that's okay too. But I'll tell you, we have more than enough of our hands full with the people who it is okay for, <laughs> <laughs> which is very exciting, right? Yeah, there's, I, you know, pre-pandemic, I had FOMO because, you know, there, I just couldn't see everything in New York. It was impossible. And now I can't watch everything online because there's too much. <laughs> That's right. And I guess, Luisa, the other thing that, that I would say about it is that for those who who it's not the right decision for them to put the whole piece up online streaming that's not the only thing that um the tool can be used for so we're having great conversations with some titles i can't talk about that are looking at expanding the universe of the storytelling with additional content um, and how to deliver fan, fan kind of specific content that surrounds the universe of the intellectual property that are enhancements to the live theatrical experience or set up the live theatrical experience, right? Oh, yeah. So now it's, it's, it's how do you engage and use the delivery mechanism of the tool that we've built along with the tool of your iPhone or right or your Android device or Roku or whatever it is the delivery mechanism to enhance and draw out or to expand upon the experience that people have already had. Mm. Something that I miss with streaming, like with DVDs, you used to get uh, sort of bonus extras and you could watch mm-hmm. like a, a director's commentary or featurette with interviews with the cast or whatever it was you know there were bonus kind of extras and I think that the online world has yet to really tap into that in the theater world 100% agree Mm. but I can tell you it's happening so so I'll leave you on a cliffhanger Ooh, that's very exciting (laughs) I cannot wait to see what you come up with so I have a series of quick questions that I ask all my guests uh there is no right or wrong answer you don't need to think about it too much First up, okay. what is your favorite musical? Oh my gosh! Uh, well, my my favorite musical is Serafina, and <laughs> she's obviously a heart. But I, I actually, uh, along with that, um, I I think You're in Town is one of the most smartly written, funny musicals that have ever been created. Oh, it's one of my favorites too. There is a version currently online uh done by suck puppets oh oh my gosh that's amazing (laughs) now i'm gonna have to go find that okay uh do you have a favorite filmed live musical i think that sweeney todd um is pretty tremendous is really tremendous and and my kids aren't old enough to watch it yet um but but i'm excited to watch it um, with them. Like I've been kind of waiting for the day to get there. I, I would also say, I mean, the, the Hamilton is spectacular. Like it's just spectacular in, in everything that they did with it. Um, so I, those would be the two things that I'm, that I really, I, I think are the pinnacles, uh, you know, and the thing about the Sweeney Todd is it still holds up, right? Like you, it's, you, it still holds up and stands the test time. And this is, Oh my gosh, this has got to be 30, if not 40 years ago, yeah. now, right? 1983, yeah. I think it was filmed. 
Yeah. 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 Almost 40 years. Yeah. Incredible. And the magic of the cap, the cameras capturing those legendary performances. That, mm-hmm. And when you think of the thousands of shows that have, will have never been captured and are lost to time now that uh, have that. Performance. 100%. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But they're not. They're in the New York Public Library, at least the Broadway versions of them. Yes. And and so like they are there. They are there. And hopefully one day they will come to light. Yes. I I love that resource, but it's not accessible to like the theater lover in Sydney or the theater lover going up outside of New York without a New York Public Library not, card. Not yet. Not yet. One day. When the when those streaming rights become available, <laughs> the, and the That's negotiations right. happen, uh, where do you stand on bootlegs? Oh, so um, bootlegs, uh, sh- there should be no need for bootlegs. That's the whole point here. Is that you know how you stop boot- bootlegs? You make them legally available, and you charge for them. Amen to that. <laughs> what do you wish had been filmed? That, that Broadway production of Urinetown that <laughs> was unbelievable. Um, I also wish uh, Moving Out was filmed. That was tremendous. That was absolutely tremendous. Um, you know, I, there are there are just some really iconic productions, you know, of shows. I mean, I wish the original production of uh, Spamalot, the Mike Nichols. Um, production was filmed like these are things that are just you know again like as you said they're they're captured somewhere in the new york public library um uh but you know they they're things that should be studied uh right as part of the great theater tradition Mm. um and that's that's just contemporary i mean you could you could go back hundreds of years and be like wow it would have been great to see (laughs) 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 you know the original production of romeo and juliet and that's what that's actually that's a great that's a great point that is what we have to be thinking about we've got to be thinking about hundreds of years from now aren't aren't we going to want to wish that we left an archive right a a really thoughtful archive of this work when we were the stewards of this art form what, what what was it that we were able to do to leave this form better for the people come who who come uh, after us and and for generations to come? Uh, we left our mark, and this is what we did. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the conversations we should be having. Oh, that is so powerful and so beautiful. Uh, finally, what would you like to see filmed in the future? I'm going to answer this as a dad. My girls cannot wait to see six. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me either. <laughs> I It's the one show I keep all through the pandemic. They've been like, oh, new announcement coming tomorrow. I'm like, this is it. They're going to release it. They're going to release it. <laughs> it's okay, never so released. Now, now I'm going to, now I'm going to answer for me. Um, I think the most important thing to be filmed is everybody's grandchild's local production of a show. That's what needs to be filmed. Broadway's great. Yes, it's great as part of the industry, but you really want to expand theater as a form in this country, in this world. You want to expand the audience base uh, as an industry. You have got to have people fall in love with it at, at the six, seven, eight year old age. That is how you really transform the accessibility and broaden the audience of this art form. Oh, absolutely. Music to my ears. Sean, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for your time today. Where can we find you online? Oh, you can find us at broadwayondemand.com, stream.theater.com, broadwaylicensing.com, dramatistplayservice, uh, which is dramatist.com, and we also have playscripts.com. That's all of our family of uh, companies. Wonderful. And I'll make sure to have all of those in the show links. Thank you again, Sean. Thank you, Lisa. It's a pleasure. Filmed Live Musicals is a labor of love, and we'd like to thank everyone who makes it possible. Thank you to our patrons, Josh Brandon, Mercedes Esteban, Rachel Esteban, 
James T. Lane, David Negrin, Jesse Rabinowitz and Brenda Goodman, Al Monaco, David and Catherine Rabinowitz, and Beck Twist for your support. If you'd like to support Filmed Live Musicals, please like and review on your podcast app, find us on Twitter at Musicals on Screen, and on Facebook at Filmed Live Musicals. If you'd like to support the site financially, you can find us at patreon.com forward slash musicals on screen. No matter what level you're able to pledge, you receive early access to written content and early access to this very podcast. Visit www.filmedlivemusicals.com to learn more. Thanks for listening.